Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. And if you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so. It is free, and we would love to have you as part of our community. You can follow the show and subscribe for free through your favorite podcast app or through our website at www.culinaryschoolstories.com, which is also where we store all of the podcast's past episodes and our guests' bios and contact information. So be sure to check it out. So now, without any further delay, I would like to introduce today's guest, who has a great story to share with all of us. He has been a colleague of mine for many years and someone I consider as a friend. Chef Jorge De La Torre, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I, I, I'm so The best part of that is that you consider me a friend because that's what I consider you. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Great. I'm excited to hear all about what you've been doing out there in Denver and you know, what you're doing now. I want to get all caught up. But first, you know, maybe you could just tell us where your love of food comes first came from and where your love of cooking and how it eventually you ended up in culinary school with that love. Sure. Well, uh, like I, uh, <clears throat> I always love my, fa- it, it, I think it starts with the, my family. So I always tell people, um, your love of cooking either comes from two ways, either your family were great cooks and they loved food or your family were horrible cooks and they didn't like food and you did it out of necessity. It's usually one of the two, right? Yeah. So true. (laughs) So mine was luckily on the side where my parents were both of them, fantastic cooks. They were super adventurous. They loved trying any cuisine at any time. They loved to go to restaurants. Uh, it was an event and, uh, something really special. So I always enjoyed, I always have good memories of, uh, going out or eating food. Awesome. And so it, then you kind of decided that this is going to be a career and you're going to pursue it. Did it start in high school, college? Where did it? Yeah. I mean, um, it, it kind of started in high school with a few like great, uh, I mean, like literally we were going to some very nice restaurants. Um, I always say that it was a, uh, uh, before Thomas Keller, when it was run by just a couple, uh, uh, having been able to go to the French laundry. So um, it was run by, like I said, uh, a husband and wife team. And it just blew my mind. And I remember we were in the wine Valley and I was eating these foods. Like I tried pesto for the first time. I remember, I mean, I distinctly remember like going, what, you know, what is this man? I mean, it is crazy. Stuff. <laughs> and I uh, remember eating uh, smoked Cornish hens and, you know, just like, I couldn't believe how great it was. I'm from New Mexico. So, you know, uh, we have green chili and red chili down, but this was a whole new world. And, uh, um, you know, and like I said, we were always, always going out. And, and I, I thought, and it was in the late eighties when the chef was started coming to the forefront and there were 
restaurants that were chef driven and the chefs were not so much out of the back in the kitchen anymore. They were kind of mm-hmm. becoming uh, better known, more acknowledged, uh, not quite celebrity yet, but, you know, I started to see that this was pretty cool stuff. And I always loved cooking. I loved cooking at home. Um, my dad and my brother uh, were in architecture and I loved architecture too. And I thought post high school, I, I went into architecture. Those are my first years at the university, but I, I really loved cooking and I loved it the whole time. And one of my jobs during college was um, cooking at restaurants. And, and the first one I got was because I'd expressed to my dad that I would think I was going to go to call I was going to go the chef route. And that as usual is in any <laughs> culinary that usually doesn't go great, right? It doesn't, it's not. <laughs> you want to do what? Yeah. That I, you know, I went to private school for high school. They save and scrimp and I had a free, I always tell people this. I had a, I had a scholarship through my high ACT scores to go four years to the university of New Mexico. And I was like, I don't want to do that stuff. I just want to go to culinary school. And they, they're like, are you out of your mind? Like my, and my dad came from experience because his family owns a hotel and a restaurant. And so he knew the whole life, how, how physically and mentally demanding that job is and how it never lets up. So he, he did not want that for me. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and he didn't mind if I had a passion for it, but he's like, I don't think you understand what you're getting into. So he found it to f- try to find the most hard ass, nasty chef he could find in Albuquerque where I'm from. And he told, I was just thinking about this today for the, the chef told me, he goes, you know, your dad asked me to, hi- you know, to accept, to give you a job. And he told me to kick your ass with my size 12 boot as much as I can <laughs> big. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, he does not make it clear. He told me to make it as tough and nasty as possible. I was like, great. You know, because if you love something and if you have passion and you're going to see that to me as a, uh, as an ongoing piece, right. For any student, if you love something and somebody tells you, you can't or make it tough, then guess what? You're going to double down and you're going to crank harder. So, uh, that's what I did. I doubled down. I worked harder and I, and I found that I loved the, uh, the adrenaline. I found that I loved what I was doing. I loved the work pace and everything. So while I was going to university, I was really enjoying the restaurant scene. So eventually my parents were like, okay, they, they saw that I wasn't going to go to architecture. And so they cut a deal <laughs> and, and I still didn't want to go to university. I was still dumb enough to give up a free scholarship. No, I didn't, but I would have had, uh, had my parents uh, not swayed me otherwise, but he said, okay, well, this is where I see that there's a lot of issue in restaurants and where I see my parents. I was like, they don't have business sense. They, they, they have good craft skills. They, they're great at what they do, but they don't know how to make it into a business. And so you need to, uh, you know, really think about that. So, so I went into business and I tell, you know, when I used to do tours for stu- for Johnson Wales, uh, admission stores, I sell them. It was the most boring four years of my life, man. It was boring. Like that's not my style. That's not a chef style to be learning about accounting and economics and human resources and uh, all the things that you think are not necessary, inane, boring, unsexy about being a chef. But what I tell people is in the end was the most important piece. Like 
first of all, it gave me another education, you know, to in arts and sciences. It developed me as a whole, but it also taught me about business. And at the end, you know, I tell people we're just selling food, but we could have been selling tires or nails or shoes or something, but we were selling food. We were selling a nicely crafted food, but the food can be delicious. But if you didn't know how to market it, stay, you know, stay viable, stay in the profit, then it didn't matter how good your food was. It really just doesn't. So I did business school. I went to university of New Mexico. It was, I, I really just did not enjoy it. I mean, it was, a, I looked in retrospect, it was the best part, but that that's what got me to my goal was getting to go to California Culinary Academy. So then that was the, but that was the deal with your dad. You had to go and get you that degree before he was going to let you go to culinary or pay for no it. business degree. Then I could go to culinary school, but at culinary school, I was cut off. Like there was, there was going to be zero support. So, <laughs> you know, I was dumb, but I'm not that dumb. And so, uh, so I finished, I got my degree in business and finance. And uh, then I went to culinary school and that's where I, really, really thrived. I mean, I just had a great time. It's because it's something that I wanted to do, right? Sure, sure. Now, why did you pick uh, the school that you did? Did you look at other schools? What drew you to that one? Right. I didn't know much. So this is, you know, this is going to be astonishing to a lot of students, but this was pre-Google days. So I didn't have many resources in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I didn't even know where to look for culinary schools. I'd heard of a few. I'd heard of the CIA. I hadn't even heard of Johnson and Wales University. I mean, I'd never heard of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, those aren't schools that come to a uh, college school at a at a Catholic prep school. They don't, you know, Johnson and Wales, nor California Culinary Academy, nor CIA came to our schools. But I had seen there was a show um, on PBS called Cooking at the Academy, and it was. Um, uh, culinary, you know, by the California Culinary Academy. It was a PBS uh, out of the San Francisco uh, station. Mm -hmm. And I'd heard of CIA because that was the, that was the most popular one. And I thought the only one at that point. And, uh, and at that time, uh, that California cuisine, uh, mid eighties, late eighties uh, was super hot nineties. You know, this California Alice Waters, Chez Panisse, uh, stars, um, Jeremiah tower and guys were going nuts up there. And so, and like I said, my time at the, you know, going to French laundry, going to Sonoma, Napa with my parents, I just thought San Francisco was the end all be all. And plus there were a lot of restaurants that were just ridiculously hot at that time there. And it was relatively close to home. Um, they were supportive to me. And, um, you know, they would get back to me, CIA, uh, for X or Y reason, didn't. And um, that's kind of why I chose. I mean, and, and so it was great. And I went to San Francisco and it was phenomenal. Yeah, that's great. It's so funny that you mentioned that because that's kind of this, what happened to me when I picked my culinary school. I was working at a country club in Miami and I'm from Boston, you know, grew up in Maine. And uh, I decided I want to go to culinary school because I want to better myself. So I needed to find a culinary school back on the East Coast and didn't know there was no Google. So I went to the library and I asked the librarian and she gave me some like educational college book and I went through it and I tried to find something in Massachusetts that was culinary related. And that's how I found Newberry College and I applied because I wanted to get to Boston because I had relatives there and I knew I could live with them and kind of cut my costs. Right. 
you know, I, I never thought about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah, when we had to go and do all that research and find where we we're going to go, it was a little bit more challenging. Yeah, it was way more challenging. And I'm sure <laughs> there were, I mean, I know there were schools out there. I mean, there was Johnson and Wales, which was doing yeah. fantastic. Kendall College, uh, but I had zero idea. Boston, <laughs> I mean, Baltimore Institute, all, all the neckies. About, oh, yeah. No clue. No clue. Yeah. Yeah, there's no websites, nothing you can go find. Nothing. Or come to our schools. Yeah. Yeah. These kids these days have it. So. <laughs> so what did you do when you got there? Did, did they have dorms? Did you have to get an apartment? No. And how did no. that go? There were no dorms and it was Midtown in the, oh my, it was, it, it's not there anymore. It, it was in the Tenderloin, which <clears throat> was the most unsavory of neighborhoods. <laughs> and, uh. You know, my parents at that point were like, okay, we're going to do this, but you're kind of on your own. And I had friends who lived there. And so I kind of looked for a place, but, and it was, San Francisco was expensive then and it's ridiculously expensive now, but yeah, I ended up living with uh, two of my uh, girlfriends that I had from high school that were there. Uh, one worked for The Gap and the other worked for Oracle. So they were moving out there during that time, just pre, just pre.com. And, uh, I lit, they had a, <laughs> they had a studio and, uh, a walk-in closet and they shared the studio they had. And I lived in the walk-in closet. <laughs> and so on a foam in my sleeping bag under all their clothes. And, um, until I found lit, oh my gosh, I think about this. It was a halfway house that I finally got my own plate <laughs> room, uh, and it, not in a great part of town, but it was a room with two bathrooms at each end of the hall. So it was like a residence. It was a, like a, and people lived in their homes and in their little rooms. And I had a sink in my room and then there was a common kitchen and then two common bathrooms. And there were about 10 people. I was living with, uh, you know, uh, ladies of the night, uh, drug dealers, uh, <laughs> The craziest character, man, a total San Francisco story. But now, did your parents know that you were doing this or no? No, they <laughs> never, never. I just let them know that I was still living with uh, my friends in the nice part of town. But uh, this was, and when, but they were kind of like, you, I remember they're like, you found a place for 350 a month, you know? And I was like, <laughs> and they're like, huh, is it all right? And I, my friends are like, we're not coming to visit you. You have to come yeah. to us, you know? So, uh, but I don't care. It was fine. It's, yeah. yeah. When you, when you're young, when you're young, you're invincible, you know, you do, you do crazy. And stuff. when you're doing something you enjoy, you're like, the other stuff is, doesn't even matter, you know, right. that's the place to sleep and relatively safe. And that's all I needed, you know? So, so tell us about the school itself. When you got there, was it what you expected? Did they give you a knife kits? Did you, what was your first class? Was it like, wow, this is really what I want to do? Or how, how did that go? So, yeah. So first, so we ran in two segments. There was an AM and a PM. Um, the My first year, so I'd already had a bachelor's degree, like I said, and that was the first year that there was they were going to have an associate's degree. So they were really super happy about it. And uh, uh, the first day, every freshman, and they had rolling enrollment because they went year round. It was an 18 month program. Uh, and they had rolling, like I said, about every three months, they brought in a new group and they started in the AM. So um, you started, the first day started at seven in the morning and they kind of did you through a whole orientation. They gave you your uniform uh, that had your name that, that I had ordered prior with my last name on it, embroidered. 
they showed us everything. They gave us a knife kit. They talked us through everything. And then they'd also told us, hey, today's going to be the longest day because you're going to go through orientation and then you're going to start class that day. So we went through orientation, you know, from seven to like one, had a break. And then from one thirty to like 7.30, we went to class in the first day. And my first day, I'll never forget, butchery, we're all in press whites, whites that aren't even, they're not even pressed because they're right out of the bag. So they're <laughs> creased, right? I mean, creased where they were folded, uh, unhemmed, kind of goofy looking, right? But we all, we all would look the same. Uh, paper hats. I'm in butchery. Everybody is in full new uniform. And this butcher is telling us how to uh, kind of uh, different ways of marinating tough cuts of meat. And he he's saying, and he's talking to us and he's with a boning knife and he's kind of like showing, Hey, if you can also kind of poke a bunch of little holes in the meat like that. And he's looking at us and he doesn't look and he, he stabs his hand <laughs> and he stabs his hand right between his thumb and his forefinger and hits a vein that when he drops the knife and, and holds his hand like this, he squirted about four people. <laughs> Somebody took a, a bottle of ketchup and just sprayed it. And so like all these four yeah, brand new uniforms, new uniforms, blood all over <laughs> girls screaming guys going, you know, Holy, you know, like this. I mean, this ended like right there. That first day I'll, ne I'll never forget the first day. It was, a, it was bad. Right. And so all these people are like, Oh my God, what did, what just happened? Right. And so he had to go get stitches class ended early. <laughs> then we come back the next day. We're like, Holy smokes. Right. You know, it was pretty funny, but, uh, see anyone drop out after that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, nobody dropped out, but it was a good story for the next day. We we're like, okay, let's start again, you know? And, and, uh, so it was pretty good. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So what was the kind of the curriculum? Did you advance like through a fundamentals foundations all the way up to like working in their restaurant? Is that how they correct? Progress? Correct. So they had, uh, you know, it was a very classic type, you know, um, Garde manger, French cuisine, Asian cuisine. Uh, I mean, classic, you know, uh, baking and pastries, one and two breads. So it was a good foundation of uh, a little of everything. It was, it was really nice. They had um, two concepts that you were going to go through. One was a fine dining. Uh, and then it was kind of more of a pub. And then they had a bakery that was open to the public. So the foods, the baked goods that were made, scones and stuff like that, they went to the bakery. So there was a production demand that was needed to, to sell at the bakery for, that was open to the public. Uh, there was lunch at both the uh, pub and the fine dining and dinner at both. And then on Fridays, there was a huge buffet that was very well known in San Francisco. One, because the price was ridiculously great, you know, because it was students and two people really, uh, the food was actually pretty good. So people would come mm -hmm. and we would do table side. We'd have buffets. Gardemanger really pretty much worked all week to, for Friday to set up all their composed salads, terrines, valentines, galantines. So it was all sold out, yeah. you know, and uh, so it was, a good, it was a good concept because it showed there was class times, you know, and then some classes fed students. So everybody, there was that kind of sense of uh, urgency right. because there was the public that even though you knew 
it was students, they would get in. Right. I mean, they had to eat at some point, right? Especially at lunch, they only had a amount of hours. So yeah. you really had to crank it out. So looking back, I mean, you had already a business degree, but do, do you think that, that a student going through that program, do you think those classes that were missing that they probably should have had to make them feel successful? You think it was a pretty good program and it gave you a great foundation for you know starting your career? It, it was a great foundation. And I think that's what most culinary schools need to, they don't need to, but they should be telling students, like when you go through this, and I don't care what university, and I've taught it two universities, I've visited many, you know, culinary programs is they should, what they do is the admissions sometimes makes them feel like they're going to be, that's going to be the end all be all after you've graduated from culinary school for two years or four years. Like that's a ridiculous statement. You know, I always tell people, anybody who gets even their bachelor's or bachelor's from a business school shouldn't expect to be the CEO of Exxon, right? I mean, that's a that's a crazy notion. But a lot of people leave culinary school saying, well, I, I'm ready to be the executive chef. So that's not that's just not true. You you need to this is a firm foundation from which to build on giving you good practices, good thoughts, good processes so that you can build on to be a better person as a stepping stone. A lot of people think it's the end all be all. And then that's where the mistakes come, because then they get they get themselves in trouble by either opening up their own gig too quick, uh, accepting jobs that they're not ready for, et cetera, et cetera. So I think everybody does a great foundation. I think everybody does good. You know, I always told people like when I worked at Johnson Wales, I was like, you know, they always asked me, Hey, how does this compare to CIA or Necky? I was like, look, man, we, we are all teaching how to make a vinaigrette the same way. So that's nothing new, but it's the, it's what we do on the side, how we teach classes about business, how we're teaching you about standards of uh, uniform, et cetera, et cetera, that might be helping. You know. So you went to culinary school. Uh, let me ask you the question. In your opinion, is going to culinary school absolutely necessary to be in this career, you know, uh, to be in food service, to be, to be a possible chef in the future? So the, the short, quick answer is it's not absolutely necessary. I mean, we, there were many great chefs before culinary schools came into, uh, you know, came into prominence in the late seventies, eighties. Right. So it's just not true, but does it help? And does it help the trajectory in my opinion of a quicker life? Like, so let's talk pre culinary school. There was an apprentice program. They, They probably were there since 14 years old and it was a long process. And the trajectory was slow and possibly upward mobile if you were good and talented and uh, kind of but one dimensional too. like you weren't learning other things. You were learning the ways of this one chef or the other chef, et cetera. And maybe that was fine. And if you had talent, then maybe they helped you moved on. But culinary school helped move that trajectory kind of in a sharper upturn because it gave you those basics It whittled down. Um, and so I always tell people, hey, look, I will never, never say that any education at any point is a loss or a waste of time. That's just a, to me, a ridiculous statement. But I also have to admit that it's a luxury for some people to be able to afford any type of education. But if you can't afford a culinary school education, that shouldn't be your stopping point if that's something you're passionate about, because there are apprenticeship programs 
and there's just mentorship and there's the ability. I mean, it's probably one of the easiest, in my opinion, one of the easiest careers to build yourself, you know, if you really want to, by just going and asking somebody uh, to do it. And it's one of the few ones that you can. I mean, I, I often would say you can't do that with being a lawyer or being a doctor. You just can't start following people around the operating room and figure it out. That's, that's yeah, you need school. I get it. This one, you could probably do that. There's plenty of people who have made a great success. You know, many of the instructors you and I worked with, they didn't go to culinary school and and they they forgot more than I'll ever know. I mean, they were super, super knowledgeable about cul the culinary world or baking and pastry world, but it does help. And, and, you know, any education you can get, any way that you can pack your, you know, your uh, mind and you can pack your experiences with is going to be helpful. Right, so, right. And culinary arts is an art. It's a craft too. So there's, you know, that artistic part in there. So maybe you could talk about passion. Where does passion, where does that creative part come to, into play there to be whether you're successful or not? Right. You know, I, I, man, and this is what I tell people too. They, I want them to remember that it is an art. And when people, you know, they go to Juilliard and uh, people go to LA and they, they want to be an artist. They want to be an actor. They want to be the first, uh, first chair at a symphony. The odds are pretty <laughs> low. Like most actors, I have a good buddy, you know, he's an actor. And I mean, I would imagine most actors want to get paid uh, Julia Roberts, uh, Vin Diesel, Tom Cruise money. Right. I mean, right. But that the fact is, is those are very, and so the chefs, you know, for lack of a better term, they want to get paid uh, Guy Fieri, uh, you know, Emerald Lagasse kind of money. Well, the fact is, is that those are very small percentages, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a very successful career. My buddy who's an actor has a very successful career, has been in movies here and there, but he found out that um, acting also means doing commercials, voiceovers, stock reels, things that I didn't know or even part of the actor's world. And that's what the great thing about culinary is. It's not about being a chef at a three-star restaurant. There's so much in that culinary world, research and development, uh, working for other, you know, other types of uh, culinary field areas. That's what it should be opening up is that education is be telling, showing you, yeah, there's more than restaurants. There's more than hotels. And you and I know, I mean, you and I, I I'll tell you, that you and I, when we went to culinary school, we never thought we were going to be where we are right here, right now. No not, in, not in a thousand years, <laughs> not in a thousand years. Nope. We didn't, we didn't know that this was even possible, but by you and I, and you know, remember, let's, let's call you Dr. Chef Colin Roche, right? You got the most education out of all of us. Uh, we realize that there's way more that we can do from what we have, you know, we blossom and pick on it every day. So Right. It's uh, it is totally possible. Yeah. As long as you keep wanting to learn. And but so passion is about that passion. You and I have that passion for culinary. So we keep striving and, and feeling and seeing how we can keep that in our lives without having to be in restaurants, uh, you know, and knowing that, OK, culinary, it's an art. And that is something that's talent and driven. You cannot teach that. You cannot teach passion. You can have good skills. You can have knife skills. Uh, but if you don't want to do this, man, this would be the 
the worst thing to do. Like when you get into the restaurants or, or food, it's physical, it's emotional, emotionally demanding. And there's just other, if you just want a job that pays, I can, I can think of 14 others off the top of my head that (laughs) would pay you better and would be easier on your body and your mind. Right. So just, just do that. And that's, that's fine. But culinary is for you to be successful, just like any artist is going to need passion and you wanting to do every day better and better and not, and almost thinking, I can't imagine doing anything else. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't imagine being an accountant and I wish I I could, you know, I wish I could. I wish I knew about cars, right? I I don't know how to do any car maintenance, stuff like that. Or I wish I even enjoyed it, but I, I can't stand it. And I see people tinker around in a car and I'm jealous of them. Or, or even when a plumber comes by, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I can't believe it. Or, or a doctor, like the mere, the mere sight of a shot or something makes me want to pass out. So there's just no way I can do the right. Right. And you have to love them. But it's so true because passion is what's going to drive you. That's what's going to get you through those rough spots, those valleys, and it's going to really push you. And you have to realize that you know, your passion can change, right? Because I am not passionate about working on the line anymore. Right. When I was at one time, right? Three in the morning, Correct. New Year's Eve, Mother's Day. No, I'm not passionate about that, but I'm still passionate about food and this industry. And we, we branch off and you kind of talked a little bit about that. You know, what does a, a culinary career mean today? You know, it's a lot different than when we went to school and we were in a box and this is what your career meant or to be successful. And now it's wide open. Correct. And I think that's the beautiful thing that help you learn. If, if, uh, if that college or that culinary school or apprenticeship program is really doing their justice to you, they should be opening your eyes up to things that you didn't even know were available. Like we talked about, like you and I, where we are right now. I mean, we kind of fell into it or we kind of kept doing it because I knew, like, like I said, I was in restaurants, but then I started dating, you know, my wife and I was thinking, Oh, I might, you know, my life, I might be wanting a family. So I'd seen in the past families or chefs that had families and I didn't like that dynamic. I just, that wasn't for me. So I was like, wait a minute. All right. Now, how am I going to do my culinary and my business, but still want to be home? Cause I want to go to be with my kids. I want to, my wife was a lawyer. Uh, she works days and I work night. I just didn't see that. So, but I had the confidence because I had the education of a business degree of a, culinary degree um, to to be able to branch out looking for anything that was culinary. And that's how actually I got into taking that teaching job because it was like a Monday through Friday. I was like, yeah, I'll give this a shot. It was culinary. I enjoy chatting about culinary. I think I know enough and I love it. And um, and that's what, what started me in that way. But like like you, I'm not passionate about, you know, seven seven day work weeks, 12 hours. That's, that's not, that's, that's more mental illness. If you get your, (laughs) right. (laughs) But I knew that that was the means to do something right. And I, and I loved it. But like you said, your life changes, you age, um, your priorities change, uh, you know, or they, they get balanced out. But uh, if you're passionate about something, then you still are trying to pursue the many different ways. And now we're so fortunate to have culinary in everything. Like I said, from research and development to uh, assisted living, to contract catering, to um, whatever you want to do. 
Yeah, and as you mentioned, we transitioned into teaching because we were at a point in our career and expertise that, you know, we wanted to pass it on and it gave us a different lifestyle because we were, you know, having kids and we had families and we wanted to be around and not just see them, you know, on, uh, you know, a family meal at four o'clock in the afternoon when they swung by the restaurant, you know, we didn't have some time and be able to participate in that. So you've been in education, you transitioned into that early on, you've worked at you know, a couple of different schools. You were at Johnson and Wales for a long, long time. How have you seen culinary education change, and how do you see it changing in the future? I mean, what is the future of culinary school? Do you, what do you think about that? Well, uh, over the time, so I was there 19 years at Johnson Wales, and from what I started to near towards the end, I saw that we were realizing as a school that the uh, I, don't, I don't want to say that the person was changing because he he sound like you know an old crotchety dude uh they got softer got you know but we started to realize that people weren't it doesn't mean this is what's important it doesn't mean that you're not passionate if you don't want to be crazy about something i think people were starting to find more life balances they were starting to say hey yeah i love cooking but that doesn't mean that's all i want to do 24 7. and and there was a transition because in my early years of culinary if that's not what you wanted to do and and doing your free time and stage and work for free, then you are considered not passionate. But we look back and go, that is crazy. Like, (laughs) really, like, why why did we do that? And to accept the abuse that sometimes we were given, that's just not, that's not right. So I'm- We were drinking the Kool-Aid. What was wrong with us? (laughs) Yeah, we were drinking the Kool-Aid is right. And we thought all those things were negligible. And I used to say like, in the first years, people love to tell war stories about, oh, when I was, I've just worked, uh, you know, 36 straight days, you know, and you're like, yeah. how, how are you proud about that? Like, who's the dummy, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm the dummy that is proud that when I worked at a ski area that I was working, you know, 20 days straight during Christmas, New Year's and wearing that as a badge of honor. That is not a badge of honor right. to some people right now. Right. Or, oh, I used to work for a chef that threw pans and knives at me. That's not cool. That's not good. Yeah. I, you know, uh, seeing, uh, you know, female chefs getting berated and, uh, you know, that's, that's not cool. We shouldn't have been doing that then. And I'm so glad that we're figuring out that there's another way to instill passion in students and up and coming chefs rather than berating and stuff. There's positive ways to do it. And I've seen that change in culinary school. I, I think of some of my culinary chefs and I'm like, holy, or my chefs that I worked with in San Francisco, I'm going, holy smokes, right? That's just, that's just nuts. And now I would never want any chefs at any culinary school that, you know, and especially we had great chefs, but some we had to change. Like, that's not how we do it anymore. You know, we don't talk like that to students anymore. We don't, we treat everybody with respect. And I think that's the good change that's happening. And I hope it keeps going on because it, it's it needs to get better every day yes i agree yeah it needs the change has been there and is needed for a while okay at this halfway point in the episode i would like to take this time to thank you as an important part of the success of this podcast as the host i appreciate your listenership your comments your engagement and your financial support 
you may not realize that it takes a lot of resources and funding to produce this show week after week and season after season, including the out-of-pocket expenses of website costs, hosting platform fees, post-production editing, equipment updates, domain names, and on and on. And there are numerous ways you can help support the show and defray some of these costs. And it doesn't have to be a lot either, because we have strength in numbers with the hundreds of you that subscribe and follow this show. Whatever you can contribute gets added in to all the other donations, and together we have enough to keep the show up and running. So if you enjoy this podcast and want to ensure its continuation and success, please consider helping it out today. Individuals can donate in one of two ways. The first is through Patreon at www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Chef. Go to that link and you can find out all of the different ways that you can support the show. And we will be adding more tiers and more benefits over the next couple of weeks. The second way you can support the show is through the Buy Me a Cup of Coffee website at www.buymeacoffee.com slash Chef Roach. As mentioned, we truly appreciate any amount that you can afford. Even a few dollars a month helps us out with the hosting, purchasing, creation, and production of our episodes and shows that we produce and give away for free. And if you have a company or business, you can also help out by advertising or sponsoring an episode or even the full podcast. This is super cheap to do, and you'll be surprised at how economical it can be. And we'd be glad to send you a rate sheet and our media kit. Just contact us at culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Okay, and all of these links will be put into the show notes section of this episode. So you can go there to check them out. And I'll also include a lot of others that I hope you'll check out as well. And share these with others that you know. Again, thank you for all that you do. We truly appreciate your listenership and support. Okay, now back to the show. So we talked about the changes in culinary school, and that was more from a student perspective. We've seen the students change over the years, you know, um, from when, you know, we went to culinary school. But how do you and, see- And, and the faculty too, sorry to interrupt, but the faculty too have done great changes too. They realized, um, the, the good ones, let's put it this way, the good ones realized there were different ways. Um, they, they thought of other ways of getting to the students. They understood that there was a change, and if they were progressive and- and forward thinking, then they they moved along too, you know. Yeah, because uh, the instructors from probably when you went to school and when I went to school have changed to the ones like hopefully ourselves and and our colleagues because it wasn't more like they're an employee and you're training them for a specific industry or specific right. position out there. You know, you were just you know sharing knowledge with them and and trying to explore this career in the world of food and, and encouraging them and motivating them to pursue any of their passions. And, and we became more educators than chefs. We understood, hey, th- this person has learns this way. This person learns the other way. In the old days, it was like, you learned my way. I'm going to kick your ass and get you out of here, right? I mean, right. there was no, no, you know, like, oh, well, oh, he needs a little extra time or she needs this. Or, no way, man. Yeah, it was a weed them out process. You know, they're never going to make it. So it's our job to get them out right now. Get them out. Just- <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
So how has the business model, though, changed? Because, you know, Johnson & Wales has closed a couple of campuses, Art Institute, Cordon Blue, I think they're pretty much all gone, or most of them, the New England culinary, you know, there's a lot of culinary schools that have gone by the wayside. And what does that say for the industry going forward? Well, as you and I know it, it is a, every five, six years, some New York Times or some article comes out at how this person's a hundred thousand in debt and they're only making six dollars an hour kind of stuff. And then, you know, it's it's a rehashed and it's not completely untrue. But, you know, I think like I said in the beginning, we have to be able to tell students the correct expectations of how their success rate might be, right? I mean, it's it's an art. But we also as a business have to figure out how it can be uh affordable to a great amount of people. And it's just not. And I'm not saying, and I don't know the solution. And the real kicker was COVID because we are, if, if we hang our hats on anything, it's that we are, a you know, on site, hands-on smelling, uh, tasting, touching kind of place. And COVID put a huge stop to that. And we did not have a plan B. And I would even argue that we still don't, although we are at least trying to figure out how are we going to do this if something else happens, I mean, that was that was the dagger in a lot of culinary schools programs, I am sure, mm -hmm. because I mean, if you can't have it, you know, in in person, I don't I don't understand. And, and I know that we have to figure it out. And I know that there are programs that are teaching online. I, I watch Masterclass. I think about it. We've been doing this since time. I used to watch the Galloping Gourmet, uh, right. the uh, uh, Justin Wilson Cajun, uh, you know. We've been we've been doing this for a, a bit, uh, and people have been enjoying that. But um, we have to figure out how to do it. And I think a a hybrid of being able to do apprentice programs like back before culinary schools, but still engaging some pieces of the university, the arts and sciences, to make them a whole person rather than a votech where you're like you said training for one thing one way. That's that's okay, and that might be the comfort level of some people. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but they're, but if they can do, you know, a little apprentice programs, some classes, getting a, a bachelor degree in whatever in the university or getting an associate's or certificate program, getting as much education, like I said from the beginning, as you can afford and and you can, then I'm all for it. But yeah, it's it it was a boom and now it didn't seem to be sustainable. Mm -hmm especially for that culinary area. But I think if people are, universities are going to be forward thinking, they have to start thinking of the ways in which culinary affects the world that is, um, has jobs that are really, the return on investment are really good, like maybe job security, uh, things that are more government issues that are maybe not c cooking in the culinary kitchen, right? but and still it, culinary based. And some of that could still be, online I, you know we always never never thought that would ever happen right but it has happened and some ruby and there's a bunch of other yeah. companies out there that have done a great job on i've taken some of those classes yeah. Even myself i've taught at the you know formal level and actually the hobbyist level too and now i'm doing zoom cooking classes you know people have been asking me to do it and i'm like it's that's like fun and you can actually do it with the technology today and even doctors are doing it right they're having these md web uh, you know meetings and they're diagnosing you and stuff. I mean, I guess technology is going to have to jump in and replace some of that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I am still a huge proponent of smell-o-vision, so I can uh, make sure that whatever you're cooking smells right. But otherwise, you can get there a good 80% of the way, in my opinion. You know, you can teach methods and stuff like that, and the technology is there. And we we can either be like old, you know, stodgy chefs and say, no, there's only one way, and then watch it go by on the wayside, or get on board. And I think that's where culinary programs are going to have to be like, okay, it sounds ridiculous, but let's be at the forefront, you know, mm-hmm. and let's, let's make the way. And like you said, the apprentice part could come into it. It could be like, you know, uh, graduate school where you do it online and then you got to go do a residency, right? To go in for your dissertation or whatever it is. Right. You could do that in culinary school. You could do it online and then you got to go to the school or to a local restaurant or to a hotel and do some kind of practical test to prove the skills that you've been learning online. Correct. I'm all for that. Right. And I think it, it's going to have to be and it'll uh, it will it will open it up to many more people that even in the hottest times of culinary school, when you you and I, we were running, you know, I used to run three segments at Denver, like from six to noon, noon to six and six to midnight because we were just busting at the seams. And when every culinary school was killing it and there were art institutes, there were still a huge majority of people that could not afford to to be part of it, even though they had the passion and, and the desire. Yeah. So hopefully this will open up to everybody. Yeah, that'd be great. So let's jump into the industry part of it, because we've been talking about the changes in culinary school and somewhat to do with the industry and, and you know adapting and changing as an industry. But talk, can you talk a little bit about work-life balance and how you it's affected you from you know when your early days to where you are now and where do you see it going and with future students and future culinarians? So I was fortunate and, you know, some people like you and I were able to forge our own way because we had enough in our quiver to be able to say, okay, I don't need to be in a restaurant because I know enough about this or I could go into education and I blah, blah, blah. And and the papers and the credentials and experiences back this up. But some people, what we need to do is, and so you and I, we're fortunate enough, like I said, to find that work-life balance, to make decisions based on what, how we wanted our life to go um, uh, because we had enough to be able to make that leap. Now, some people might be spending all their time or stuff in the restaurant business and can't make that leap because they didn't get enough education. That's all they could afford. Again, I was talking, it's a luxury, but it is incumbent on the culinary program to make whatever it is, restaurants, hotels, a viable career option. And that's where I think people are, especially now, I mean, post COVID, I think a lot of people were like, wow, what was I doing working (laughs) 14 hours a day, six days a week, putting myself on the line with no health, no benefits, no vacation time. When 95% of the other life are getting bennies, they still have their job. Um, you know, like, am I, how crazy am I? And we have the to COVID get to pause that. kind of made everybody rethink it. Like, what yeah. was I doing? Yeah. And why do I want to get back into that? Like, you know, they're finally resting and they're kind of being able to get their head out of the fog and, you know, look beyond the trees and whatever cliche you want to talk about and say, wow, I don't, I don't know if I want to go back to that. Right. Right. And, um, they're not, they're not going back to that. And they're saying, if I just want a job, I'm just going to go pedal insurance or, you know, whatever. Right. Because at least I have my weekends and nights and 
you know, they get all the, they get Mother's Day off and, you know, <laughs> they, and that's crazy. And that's where we have to be. I can, to, I can go to Target or Walmart, get $15 an hour, you know, right. benefits and everything and weekends yep. off. And what am I doing? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Why would you do that? Right. And I think we, it owes to the people who are passionate. If we want it to go forward, we have to make it so that it's a viable career option, not just a work option. And I think those are two different one's something that you want to develop and have for lifelong, you know, mm -hmm. and we, we got to make it possible because those days I think are gone now. And, and, and I applaud that because, and when everybody complains like, well, if I pay them this much, then I have to raise price. Yeah. Let's just do it. We have to, we, we have People to make paid if they want restaurants to exist, they, that they want to go out and we, you know, you see that stuff all the time. Um, like, like, oh, no more smoking. Well, they're not going to come to my bar anymore because you, well, now we don't even talk about smoking anymore. Right. I mean, yeah. And guess what? Bars are still open. Things are still fine. There's adjustments and, uh, and it's for the right reasons. It's just so crazy <laughs> that we fight, uh, things that are just silly. They're silly. Like, why would you want somebody to work? I mean, indentured practically. That's not right. Right. Yeah. Kill them. Use them up and, and dispose of them. Yeah. Try spit to get them out. Get a new like, one. Why not develop them from the start? Right. So awesome. So where are you now? What are you doing? What's what? Tell us about your your newest venture there and how people can get a hold of you if they want to reach out, ask you questions about it. Sure. So right now, I mean, I am so I, I can't even tell you how fortunate I am, and and fortunate fortune comes to those who are prepared. Right. I mean. And like I said, all the education, I mean, Johnson and Wales was kind to me to make me get my master's in education, you know, uh, and I, th that's something I would have never done. I, I mean, you would think that I'd gotten smart from my parents saying, Hey, get this, get this. <laughs> and I go poorly into the education realm. So I like to tell that people like I'm your best, I'm your best, uh, example of education because I don't. I don't thrive on it. I like when you say you get your doctor, I mean, that just makes me cringe. I'm like, Oh my God, that is so much work. And even my master's degree was, it was great. Cause it helped me. It was an adult education. And I, you know, that's what I was teaching. How could I not want that? But man, I was like a cow to slaughter going to that man. And now I realize how great it is. So I don't learn easily, but I do appreciate once I go there. So, the piece about that is, is now at Johnson and Wales, they closed down, they left uh, the kitchens here at the Denver and it was, it was uh, bought in by a nonprofit uh, called Buku, a uh, business and community uh, Westwood. And they have in their umbrella, something called kitchen network. And we are a commissary an incubator and an accelerator that helps minority and BIPOC people give them a low barrier of entrance to start their food product. They also help them um, how to get permitting, how to navigate the government systems, the certifications, everything. Wow. So I have these kitchens now that not only serve that population that we talked about, we're never able going to, to take advantage of what Johnson & Wales had to offer. And now I have these beautiful kitchens that Johnson and Wales kept up wonderfully. They outfitted like you and I know 
they took care of our students very well. Uh, and that's nothing to be you know ashamed of. It was always a, a point of pride of our kitchens. And now a whole new people can do it, can benefit. And I love to be a part of that. And we also now have workforce development people. So in lieu of Johnson Wales or art institutes or places that have gone by the wayside, we have work options for women, uh, which helps women that were incarcerated uh, find a culinary curriculum. So they teach here. We're now teaching the ACF's apprentice program here. Uh, we're teaching some uh, neurodivergence people about uh, barista in a coffee shop in our beverage lab. So we're trying to get all, and then we have Skills Academy who's hopefully coming in and they help vets. So I'm trying to help these different people that need it, that can do so well in the culinary world. Besides people who just want their food trucks, they want their farmer's market products, giving them a barrier, a low barrier of entry. And that's, I mean, man, of all the things, I would have loved for Johnson Wales to stay here. I had a great time. It was a great run. But for this to be the outcome, it's the best outcome I can think of. Yeah, I mean, the education, everything continues, right? More people are still learning. It's just a, a different audience now. But wow, that's awesome. Open to the whole community now. Open to anybody who wants. So that's unbelievable. So, so how can someone find out about it? Is there a website? Or do they get in touch with you? How if someone wanted to find out more and maybe get and participate or get involved? Yes, we could go to kitchen. Uh, it's kndenver.com. And I will... Uh, I will let people know that. And sure, uh, I'll put it in the show notes. If it, sure. Link I'll say, if someone's listening yeah, and want to look afterwards, you know, they'll have a link Kitchen Network. And anybody who has any uh, any questions about it in the Denver area or about, I mean, I did a lot of, uh, to better understand this, I looked, there's some wonderful places in Boston, in Chicago, in New York that do the same kind of things. They have these incubator areas they that give TED talks that they help, you know, the small business development center here to help these people move forward. I mean, there's a lot of goodwill. That's one thing I learned. There are a lot of great people wanting to help people succeed. I mean, you never know that. And then you, I'm like learning every day. Oh yeah. We're this nonprofit that helps this, that micro we give microfinancing. I mean, holy smokes, it's out there, wow. but people don't know how to get to it. Right. People had no idea. So I'm trying to help them, you know, build careers so they can be successful. So so if someone wanted to start like a jelly company or a candy or something of baked goods, they would use something like this. They would go there as an incubator, get help starting it as a business and then developing the product there. Right, right. Usually they come in with their product, right? But they could come in with saying, I just have an idea, but I have no idea. So for instance, there's a person who says, I want to do a better burger um, that rivals McDonald's, for lack of a better term, or, or a fast food chain, if you don't want to use McDonald's. They go, but I want to do it meat and pea protein based, you know, kind of like the Impossible Burger. So it's still kind of meat, but gosh, at least it's a little better, but I don't know how to do that. So we can come help, you know, oh, we have great. people that can consult and stuff like that. But some people say, hey, I already have a hummus that is my grandma's and it's so good. I just don't know how to get it to market or I need to process it or I need to make it in batches of 30 gallons. And I can't do that in my home kitchen. We can help with that too. So a lot of people come with their own recipes and a lot of people come with ideas. We can help both. Awesome. That's really, that's, that's great. What's going on there. I'm happy. 
So as we come to our end of our chat today, before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance you want to leave with the listeners? You know, something you want to share? Maybe it's someone that came to you and asked about culinary school, culinary careers. Yeah, the, the thing is, is this is, again, like I said before, this is a career that you can kind of get a pretty good idea of what the future holds for you, or if it is everything that you thought it might be. Again, I don't know what the reason was. Uh, we can joke that either your parents were great cooks or they were horrible cooks, or that you enjoy uh, Food Network or you enjoy uh, the Master Chef or the uh, you know uh, Hell's Kitchen kind of stuff. That's if if that's what got you interested, that is great. But go look at the reality. Do your yourself and your family a favor of going to work in something that you think that is what you like. So if you think you want restaurants or catering, do yourself a favor because your parents and yourself, you're going to move mountains. You're going to make sacrifices to do this kind of schooling, but it's something that is easily identifiable by going to a restaurant and just, even if you're the host or even if you're a busser, or even if you're prepping, you kind of get the gauge and you see, Oh, wow. This is what I like. I, my heart pumps when I do this, I see myself doing this or going, whoa, this has nothing to do with what I saw on TV or nothing to do with what I thought was cool. Uh, thank you very much. I'm going to keep it as a hobby, but I'm going to move into something else. It is go check it out. I tell people you would not buy a car without test driving it. Right. Nobody would do that. And yet so many people come to culinary school without any experience of even just spending a summer rather than being a lifeguard or working at the mall, go do this, go check it out. Cause you're, you'll be so happy. And when I know people, when people came from high school and go, Oh, I was in the culinary program and my summers, I worked this, I was like, and you are more than 50% to success, right? Cause you know, you've done it. I understand you understand you have a, at least a better understanding than the normal person of what this means. Man, you're going to be successful. And it, and it validates what your belief is, yeah. right? It says, yes, this is true. I've tested it. I've, I've done my due diligence. I'm ready to go all in. And now everybody's better equipped to help you too, like your parents, your family, uh, scholarships. They're going to be best used by that. So you, you, you owe that to yourself and to everybody who's supporting you. Yeah, so true. So and true. so when people, when people after a month at Johnson was like, oh, it's just not what I thought. I don't like the smell of garlic or, you know, I'm like, I, it, it was hard for me to feel sorry because I was like, well, you had a chance, right? <laughs> What'd you think you were going to do here? <laughs> yeah. Just f figure it out. It's, it's better the day before you get married than that day after you get married to walk out. Right? <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. Well, that's just about all the time we have for this episode. And I want to first thank you, Jorge, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. Really appreciate your time and your insight and your honesty. Oh, my gosh. The pleasure is all mine. It's always great to hear from you. And uh, and I wish you the best of success, too. And like I said, and just and people don't have to contact me just because they're interested in commissary. If they want to banter students, especially students, man, that's one thing I miss about culinary school is the the youth exuberance and chatting with people about their desires and wishes and concerns, and they can they can contact me anytime. That's awesome because that's a, a 
current theme on this podcast is everybody, because we're in the hospitality business, I guess, Correct. willing to help anybody, right? They want to be mentors. They want you to reach out, help me if you have questions. So how can someone get a hold of you personally? Do you have an email or some way they can contact you? Yeah. I mean, I, and I'll send it to you if they, but it's Jorge, J-O-R-G-E at K-N Denver. So K is in kitchen and is in network, denver.com. Jorge at kndenver.com. Awesome. I'll put that link into the show notes. So if anyone's listening, but if you are listening and especially if you're a culinary student out there or thinking about going into culinary school and high school now, there's resources out there. And like I said, in the hospitality business, they'll help. Anybody will. I would. Anybody, all the guests on the show are offering it. So here you go. Especially if you're in the Denver area, reach yeah. out to Chef here and uh, he'd be glad to answer any of your questions or give you a tour or anything he can do to help you out. And if you need, you know, you know me, like if we need a, a restaurant recommendation in any town, you know, where to get the best hoagies. Right. Where right. <laughs> That's so true. If you're going to travel anywhere, Jeff has gone all around. He knows the best restaurants. He's researched them all. So if That's, you're like, hey, I think I'm going to be in Chicago next week. Where should I eat? Well, he'll, he'll, that's, that's my favorite part any day. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks again. I really enjoyed our chat. Bye bye now. Take care. Bye. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you. And that is to share the podcast with everyone you know. And to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next culinary school story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.